there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello again, welcome to Your Politics, RTE's weekly political podcast for Leinster House. I'm Anya Lawler, and with me, my political staff colleagues, Paul Cunningham, Sinead Spain, and Michal Lahan. Um Again, another week when we're the story. I want to start... Um, by telling you about a woman uh, I met this week, um, a lovely woman. She watches RTE News. Uh, she watches The Week in Politics. Uh, she's met Ryan Turbody and she thinks he's very nice. And she was talking about the licence fee and she was saying, you know, it's every September and she doesn't have the kids going back to school anymore. But still, with the holidays, you know, you come in between the summer expenses and Christmas coming up. September is a budgety month yeah. for everybody. And she said, honest to God, I'm really going to struggle to pay that bill this year. I struggle really, isn't financially or that she didn't want That to. it's always a struggle financially. Yeah. It's her week's shopping. Yeah. So every September she has to choose to pay the value of her week's shopping to RTE for the public service we provide. And she was just saying straight to my face, honest to God, I will really struggle to pay that bill this year. And it goes back to the issue that the incoming DG spoke about after he met Catherine Martin today, the mm-hmm. minister, when he apologised to audiences and to staff. And the word he kept t- using was trust and trust being broken. He did talk about that and he was asked to quantify it. And he said it was enormous. There's an enormous um, gulf now between the station and the public, between the government. And when he was talking about the public in particular, it was licence fees. And he was asked the question, what would you say to someone who's in the same position that you just articulated there. And he said he hoped that people looking at the output that was being produced by the National Broadcaster, by RTE, under the public service mandate, things like news and current affairs, that through that they would see the value. He was saying, look at what we do. And that appears to be his message. He's got, <laughs> like, to operate on multiple fronts, he has mm-hmm. to structurally change management. He has to engage with the staff where morale is ankle high. He has to engage with politicians. He has to, once again, look at the financial model. If it is the case that a substantial number of people don't want to pay the licence fee, that's an instantaneous crisis. He has to look at the budget, the government's budget, and whether he's going to have to request further cash. But that was his message. Look at what we do. And he will try and restore trust through his action and hope that will ultimately mean something to the woman who you just spoke about. I think that in all the engagements, though, with the Oireachtas, the committee hearings and so on, today was the first time that I have heard someone from RTE talk about the audience. And I think that really has been missing in all of the talk. Um, To be fair, the staff and we're obviously all staff, you know, we've had a good hearing and um, a lot of people have taken up the staff position. And we've heard a lot about the management and the culture and inside RTE and the barter account and Toy Show, the musical and all of that. But that was the first time I actually heard somebody volunteer the word, the audience. And I think that's really been missing. And it's probably it points to what's been missing in the culture at the organisation, that somewhere along the way, 
people lost sight of the fact of what we do, what we do for the people who watch it, who mm. consume it, who read the website, who listen to the radio, who tune into our programmes, who listen to the podcast. That's what we do it for. We don't do it for the commercial activity, the, the side hustle or anything else. We do it to mm. make programmes that people enjoy and be are entertained by and are informed, informed by. by. And I think that that is the first time I've heard that yeah. the audience <coughs> mentioned and that's important. And trust, I mean, in a way, what we've learned through all of this, Micheál, and there's a lot of talk about RTE finances and the financing of public service broadcasting. We'll touch on that in a while. But trust is a currency. And to, you know, be paid that currency by your public and by your sponsors and by whoever else you want to be backing you, by the political system, you've got to earn it and you've got to earn it with your values and transparency. And while there have been slogans, what we've been hearing at the committees during the week suggests that, you know, the way things operated in reality behind the scenes was very different. Yeah, there was a phrase in Shun Nirahli's uh, speech yesterday where she talked about the indifference to governance structures and that's probably the key to it. And I suppose the kind of most notable thing since the crisis started is that there seems to be a sense of that lingering and as a result of that, more and more things continue mm. to emerge with each committee hearing and the warning again from the chair of the board yesterday that there was a high probability of that happening once again. That sense uh, on Tuesday night that there was a further crisis, that look and discovery of more barter accounts, even if there are different interpretations of it. Archie was fairly clear on the night that there were three accounts. That and getting the final figure on the finances to the Late Late Show musical, uh, causing no little angst and a sense of panic running through government buildings again. And all the while, you do feel that both the government and the opposition parties here have been in their own way trying to create a space for RTE to plot its path towards redemption. And there's an, an acknowledgement that's going to be a very long one. But in some senses, it's barely begun because of the yeah. faltering approach to all of this. The next week could be different. You will have Ryan Tuberty in this house for six hours on Tuesday, uh, followed by the RTE bosses with the new main boss, Kevin Backers, most likely next Thursday as well at the Public Accounts Committee. At the end of all that week, perhaps the beginning of the recovery might be in sight. Maybe. We're, we're saying it's not just Ryan Tuberty, it's also going to be his agent, Noel Kelly, and he is a key player in these discussions. So I think that is a really substantial um, step just forward. Just remind us of the structure of those committee hearings. It's going to be Tuesday, is that right? It's going to be on Tuesday. Initially, we had heard that it was going to be the Public Accounts Committee. So that's the committee only TD sit on that. And that looks at money, basically, who's paying what and why. And the Controller Auditor General sits on that committee. And, and then, that's the big beast of committees, exactly. isn't it? That is the wild one. Um, but then also the following day on Wednesday, um, there'd been a scheduled meeting of the Oireachtas Media Committee. So it appeared that um, Mr. Tuberty and Mr. Kelly were going to sit together on two successive days. That changed then this afternoon and they're going to sit um, in two committees, two different committees on the same day. That's next Tuesday. Fairly unprecedented by any stretch. I mean, grueling. Someone will be put in for the guts of seven hours. And I mean, the RTE executives who've been appearing before the Earthless Committees over the past couple of weeks, you could see them by the time yesterday's session with the RTE uh, or with the Arts and Media Committee was coming to an end after seven o'clock. They were exhausted. They, I mean, it They're is gruelling. Yeah, it I really think, is gruelling. But I do think that there was a regression at least because um, in the same way that there are, uh, there's a performance that one has to adopt or, or maybe there's a better word than that, but if you go to court, and you are a witness, there is like a, a role that you have to play. Answer the question that's answered, answer it directly, don't give opinion, don't go off. 
And I could see if you talk about performance um, in relation to the RT executives, I think they were getting the handle on it as well. They were a bit more succinct and they had a little bit more detail at their fingertips. They were a bit more likely to push back if they felt something was being unfair. And so even though it was a gruelling, like crazy, nearly six hours of talking in which everything and anything was being asked of them, I think they were actually better skilled there was a confidence to them definitely yesterday that we hadn't seen previously that we didn't Match see fitness. last week. Yeah, and maybe <laughs> that they, they had just learned by mistakes of the previous committees. Yeah, it was striking though that the one person who came in with a proper script, full detail, comprehensive, it was someone who's no longer on the RTA executive, Breed O'Keefe. I think the there former had, chief financial yeah, officer. I think yeah. there had been an expectation among politicians from day one uh, that that's the, the type of detail that yeah. they would have got from everyone. If they had, I think the tone could have been different, but but also even like if you think about hers, her performance was really good. Um, if she was asked a question, she would correct it. Um, the t- TDs and senators said, no, that isn't the case. It's this date, that date. She had facts and figures at her fingertips. Mm-hmm. And there were and times when absent. some of the questioners weren't being very precise or appeared to be a little bit mixed up between various informa- bits of information yeah. they'd been given. And she was uh, she was quick to correct all of that. And they've been given lots of information because, I mean, that is that, comment from the Taoiseach was kind of interesting during the week where he talked about a possible structure being put in place, a whistleblower structure for grievances about RTE. Mm -hmm. That's because politicians are getting hundreds and hundreds of emails uh, about the organisation. Who have been the politicians who've impressed you most on the uh, committees so far? Because it's, you know, it's a, these committees don't often get this amount of uh, public scrutiny. I think someone who you could see was missing um, from the uh, media committee um, and it stood out with Shane Castle's senator. Um, he was particularly um, adept in the first um, hearing. He just had his A4 full scap. He had a list of questions mm-hmm. that he wanted. You could see that if there was a fork in the road that a witness was going left or right, he had his questions ready and he was going to reach a determination on it. And I think that was in stark contrast to some of the contributions in which TDs were talking about their own position for half of their allocated time rather than asking the witnesses who were in front of them direct pertinent questions. I thought Marie Sherlock was good, wasn't she? I thought Brendan Griffin has been has been good. Sure. Mm. James O'Connor uh, can 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 be quite good as well. And then in pack Alan Kelly is is the experienced is the experienced one there. Yeah, Catherine Murphy as well seems to have quite a clear line as to where yeah. she's going on yeah. questioning commercial activities. And pursuit and, of detail and yeah. again, a good track record on that. But she'd and, also made that call. I mean, there was a particular um, issue which arose during it in which Catherine Murphy had asked a particular question. She directly asked mm-hmm. the chief financial officer, Richard Collins, whether or not there was another barter account. And he said emphatically, no, that was last week. And then RT sends in a four page document, which is um, all about helping and assisting TDs to understand how these barter accounts operate. And the first sentence says there are three barter accounts. But they one consolidated one account two, on the yeah. books, one consolidated Amazing. account. But yeah. it was Catherine oh, Murphy who was able books, to say yeah. she was the one who'd elicited that comment. Yeah. So when it, more information came up, she was able to refer to it. And it's a sign of someone who knows what they're up to. And Senator Timmy Dooley, Fianna Fáil Senator, he had the mic drop moment, didn't he? He had the issue of the car. And as we're currently recording this podcast, we know that there is a staff member who had a car for five years on loan, that it wasn't authorised. And then the day before uh, the day yesterday's hearing, it was suddenly dropped back. Um, so uh, there was an awful lot of questions from members here in the Oireachtas about who was the person, what was the type of car. And the interim deputy director general, um, Adrian Lynch, was saying he couldn't give out that information, but one would imagine um, it's not going to stay quiet for too long. 
There's been an awful lot of, as you said, Sinead, we've heard an awful lot this week about the contrast between, you know, the spending that was going on, for instance, in the barter account and, you know, leaving the Ryan Tuberty payments aside, you know, between the Havaianas and the concerts and the trips and so on. On the other hand, the commercial argument for that is 1.6 million generates billion. one m- million in spend yes. generates 1.65, I think, 1.6 in returns. So you were giving and you were getting way more back. So Geraldine Collins was saying that was her job. There's two things with that. One is the contrast for staff members who were struggling with cutbacks, COVID payments, all of that. And also the values of we're all in this together. Isn't that right? Yeah, and I suppose that is the the crunch point. It's the values of the organisation that you work for. And I think, you know, we know now that most organisations have a barter account that they use. Um, I certainly would have seen yeah. it uh, in my previous job before I joined RTE and I worked in the commercial sector, you know, it would be used for if you wanted to have a staff night out, you might say after an election, bring the newsroom out for finger food and a few drinks and it would be used in that way. So you might go to a hotel, have an evening out and then there might be a few competitions, you might give away weekends away or something. So there was a trade off there and that's sort of how it is used and it is used for entertainment. It just, it did feel that some of the entertainment was so lavish, you know, that the Havianas. I know people latched onto the flip-flops and it does seem yes, a, bit, a bit silly, but, you know, spending that much money on flip-flops, it's just, it's ludicrous and it is insulting to people who are doing their jobs, who are filing from the side of the road. You know, we heard about mm-hmm. Fiona Mitchell that had worked in London. There was no office. There was no facility. She was, you know, at a key moment in the Brexit negotiations and filing her voicers from inside the toilets in a local cafe. That's just not acceptable when you look at the spending then on Soho House because, well, we need somewhere to that meet clients. That was the clients. London Club, yeah. The London Club that, you know, is frequented by the likes of Meghan, Mark and Meghan Markle. You know, it's just, it does not sit yeah. well. On the other hand, and th- this was addressed a couple of times by the speakers, and we had all the politicians talking about the importance of public service broadcasting to our democracy. If there was pressure on Geraldine O'Leary to be generating good commercial returns, it's because the audience or th- the management was chasing commercial income. And that's the issue with this dual funding model in RTE, because you had the licence fee not going up since 2008 and the commercial market shrinking for various reasons. You and know, the, and yeah, an obligation to in legislation, isn't there, to yeah. maximise? commercial revenue so yeah. that, that is there and I think some critics of RTE are saying well that revenue would have come in the door anyway if you didn't have to, to pitch for it or go after it I think in any commercial environment that, that that would be fairly hard to believe if it is a competitive thing that it would just come to you without pursuing it so they are the difficulties but when you put it all out there and you put it out there in the context of what has happened there's no justifying it But a parallel story in that in chasing of revenues and trying to find new means of raising revenues was um, Toy Story the Musical and Not so, Toy Story. Toy Story would be a good musical. <laughs> Not that this one wasn't. I didn't see it. I'm sure it was very Toy good. Show the musical. So, yeah, I kept making that mistake this morning on Morning Ireland. I just can't get it right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are risks and there are risks with these um, issues. And, you know, it, this was an artistic endeavour. Um, so it did involve... I get all that and we got that explanation yesterday. But you know who really struck me was Philip McMahon talking this morning on Morning yes. Ireland about the years of work, the groundwork yes. you have to do yeah. to get a show 
onto the stage in Ireland. You know, the applications for grants, you know, the preparation that goes into it. You start small and you build up to I know, big. I know, but equally, when you think about it, when you look at it on paper, you say, what is this massive, massive product we have here? The Late Late Toy Show. So the Late Late Toy Show products already out there. If you take that and you think you had the success even if it did go out of house in the end with Riverdance. I mean, you have that as your template. It was a massive start that isn't a Ken Australia, or America. Uh, Kirsty yeah, Blake yeah. Knox used but a really interesting phrase, the cult of the toy show and mm-hmm. then the pressure to monetize. You know, mm-hmm. the toy show, again, had has a place mm-hmm. in people's hearts, mm-hmm. but in the pressure to monetize it, like the hubris of the whole thing. But it is, it's RTE eating itself almost, you know, just getting drunk on its own publicity around the toy show, I think. You know, Philip McMahon made the point this morning, if you wanted to do something like this, why not start it in Galway? Bring it yeah. to a nice theatre in Galway. Bring it to the Bell Table in Limerick. Bring it to Sheem Satira in Tralee. Bring it out there into the communities who love the toy show, who hold the toy show in their hearts. But instead it was, let's take it to the convention centre, the biggest, most expensive venue in the country uh, before we've even yeah. road tested it. And yeah. I think... That's where the, the fault lies. Well, Grant Thornton are going to be casting a cold eye over all of that, aren't they? That's the third, just remember, that's the third Grant Thornton report he had requested by the board. The second one um, we're still waiting on, and that's the payments between 2017 and 2019. We were told that that was going to take four weeks. Grant Thornton haven't said when the clock started. But it's um, ahead of schedule. Oh, then Catherine Martin said it's ahead of schedule. Yeah. So that could drop any time. Mm-hmm. And once again, that's another turnover. And the forensic accountant is on the way to RTE in the next few days, isn't it? As well, yes. they appointed the government appointed forensic accountant, and as well as that, a clear realization now from the chair of the board yesterday and from the minister, a clear signal on Tuesday night in the Dáil that the CNAG is making his way back to RTE and will, yeah. after a change in legislation, have oversight of the books. Yes. Forever. We, As we were saying last week on the podcast, that was one of the more interesting people paying attention uh, to last Wide-eyed. week's... Yes, to last week's committee hearings. Um, look, let's talk about something else other than RTE for a couple of minutes. Uh, women of Honour, wh- what's going on in terms yeah, of the Yeah, there's been a significant anymore? development on Women of Honour. Government have been in talks with that group and others as well for some time now about what form an investigation would take. And Michal Martin, even before today's kind of final meeting and before a, a recommendation goes to Cabinet, telling the Dáil in clear yeah. enough terms that he is minded so it is going to happen, that it will be a full public tribunal. So therefore, there's only two other outstanding issues mm-hmm. there. Are the terms of reference wide enough, not just to cover abuse, but to cover work culture as well? And can it get up and running quickly? Can you have uh, the assent of the House before it goes into recess this day next week? And Remind us who the women of honour are because, you know, they've fought a long and lonely battle, haven't they? Yeah, on on issues of abuse, bullying uh, and and quite serious things in the Defence Forces that have been raised for several, several years. And of course, was all put together in very comprehensive terms in Katie Hannan's documentary some time ago. And that has led to a really strong political push following that independent uh, review of the allegations for the big comprehensive uh, review now in yeah. the Tribunal of Inquiry. The the only issue there that government were saying that they are mindful that some people uh, won't want to give their evidence publicly but that there'll be a way of doing that as well. And it's interesting, isn't it, when uh, President Higgins gave that uh, interview to the uh, Sunday Business Post that raised some eyebrows, I think, Just uh, a bit. in government circles. But one of the things he was talking about was, you know, a concern around 
further investment and development in the defence forces when the whole issue around the culture and questions that had been raised, for instance, by women of honour yeah, had not been addressed. Always has to remember that he is the supreme commander of the defence forces and on that basis he got a greater latitude to be able to talk about these matters. We know that he has um, spoken before, I think it was in his first term mm-hmm. in relation to soldiers' pay. So to come back to that issue wouldn't have been a surprise. And we do know that um, under the government's current plans that they are now talking about um, investment in kit and gear, if you want to put it that way. But there's also a parallel push on wages. There's been some movement in relation to those who've been in the Defence Forces, extra um, pay for those um, who are there for two years. But there's other... um, pay grades who are also seeking assistance and you have people like the independent TD Carl Berry who's been pushing on that yeah. too. It's interesting isn't it across a range of organisations uh, and there have been various committee he- hearings of other organisations mm. as well. Issue of governance and culture I mean it crops up again and again. It does crop up again and again and I think there's one of these uh, management experts has this phrase you know uh, strategy eats culture for breakfast. I think that's it. That, you know, you can have sounds all good, the... Sounds good, though. Sounds good. You don't really know what I mean. But that basically, you can have all the strategy and plan that you want and commercial activity or whatever your business is. But if you don't have your organisational culture correct, well, then you won't be able to achieve your objectives because that is the yeah. key to making an organisation work. And we hear a lot about governance and we're going to be hearing an awful lot more about governance, I imagine, in the weeks ahead. But, but you know, in the end, it comes down to treating people with respect, no matter what, you know, the money in their bank account, being honest, human dignity. <laughs> like, it's not that hard. Yeah, there are some... Uh Good books on corporate governance, but my favourite one. Sorry, I, have you read more than one, <laughs> yeah, one book on corporate governance? Okay, look, you know, I'm sad. I'm, a, you know, I'm sad. outing you here. There is one called The Fish Rots from the Head. And actually, that's a pretty good way of looking at things that actually the corporate governance is set, the strategy is set from the top. I think, you know, in relation to many of these things, it applies to RTE and it applies elsewhere. It's a question of having oversight so if things happen you can actually catch them yeah. there are ways of catching them and it applies you know as much defence forces as RTE as it does to economics Did Mick Wallace use that in the doll? He did on some occasion. He did he's used it on a few occasions and I think he used it in relation to NAMA a particular deal there that uh, is under investigation in relation right. to loans there What would have been the big news of the week? Still Still yes okay. indeed which is another story all about how we run investigations that's in this country but that's another podcast okay. now, I'm going back to what would have been the big news story of the week okay because I've got a simple mind um, the summer economic statement I mean that's normally the big taram taram seam setter for the budget what did we learn David? So the interesting so this basically like sets out the landscape for the budget and the big thing in this is the simple thing of how much money do we have and so in it, it actually kind of gave a little bit more uh, context on those things. The corporation tax receipts, the money has been uh, flowing there. So going back to 2014, we got €4 billion Euro a year in corporation tax receipts. In 2020, it was €14 billion. Euro. And this year, it's going to be €24 billion Euro in corporation tax receipts. So all that money is flooding in. And at the same time, the government had a rule which said we're not going to Uh, extend our spending in excess of 5% every year. But they've indicated that they're going to break the rule uh, for the next budget. They'll break it in 2025 and they'll break it in 2026. 
And they've said really that is because of inflation and the war in Ukraine. But the watchdog in all of this, this comes back to the governance thing we were talking about, the watchdog in all of this is the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council and they've raised a load of red flags about what's going on. But you can see where the government is coming from at the same time, there's a political imperative that households are under yeah. pressure because of that cost of living. And they certainly, whatever about... Um I asked uh, Pascal Donoghue about this uh, during the week, about the fact that uh, many of his colleagues in the parliamentary party believed that he was far too prudent uh, before the 2020 election and that that cost Fine Gael votes. And we are heading into an election cycle now from next year on. And so many of the backbenchers in the government, particularly in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, they're going to want to see way more than that 5%, aren't they? Yeah, so it was very interesting yesterday we had, which is kind of unusual, a doorstep uh, at Leinster House by the Finnafall leader Micheál Martin and the Finance Minister Michael McGrath and it was their post-summer economic statement doorstep but there was also a sense that it was a riposte to the uh, three uh, uh, ministers for state in Fine Gael who penned an article for the Irish Independent saying there should be tax cuts of a thousand euro um, per annum for taxpayers in the upcoming budget and this seemed to be Finnafall now putting their stamp on the budget. And there were a couple of key takeaways from that. The first one was that Michael McGrath felt that he could be prudent while also doing something on the cost of living. Yeah. Second thing was he defended breaking the spending ceiling of 5% per annum. Uh, he came up with the, an interesting phrase. He said it wasn't a rigid rule. And they came <laughs> that's up Irish. with it. That's a ruley. That's a, they came yeah. up with it before inflation and the war in Ukraine. So it kind of makes you think a little bit about these rules about economics. I mean, really, the rules should be thought out to cover all possibilities. And, you know, inflation yeah. is a fact of life and it comes and goes. And so you really need to have so your voters. You see, was one voters the, make decisions, too. Was, and, they do, but and they look at the government coffers and they kind of go, well, there's loads of money there. And I'm, str I'm still struggling, actually, with my energy bills. And we can expect, can't we, to see a repeat, maybe not so generously, of the one-off measures. Uh, I think often. we will see um, a repeat of the one-off measures. Uh, the, and it won't be as generous because we can see now that particularly in the energy area, um, the prices have come down significantly. Pill, wholesale, people still are wholesale, paying. Wholesale. wholesale. Well, hang on, bills, hang on. Yeah. Let's just think about that. In petrol and diesel, it's coming down at retail level. But it's the price and of going up in tax. Up. Yeah. yeah, but the price that's gone up in tax is much less than the decrease that we've seen. One of the takeaway from that little chat, you mentioned to me, Hall Martin, you also mentioned Michael McGrath, the finance minister. There was also a certain uh, senator, Lisa Chambers from Mayo, who was there. And it might be interesting to track her um, profile in the coming months, given that Fianna Fáil will very shortly be selecting candidates for the European elections. And who, know, who knows, maybe senators might be inclined to um, announce their candidacy. Indeed. And she gave a very big hint on that. She was asked, was she interested in running for Europe? She said she was interested, but she said that really depended on the outcome yeah. of the boundary review. So this is a boundary review into the constituencies for the Doyle. We expect it sometime around September. And the key to that will be what's going to happen in the constituency that she's represented in the past, Mayo. Paul, do you have some news for us? Yes, I do. Um, if you can bear with me, I just believe that there is um, a statement has come in and I just want to get it and make sure that I read it um, correctly. 
And it is a statement and it's coming in. That's why I've been looking at the phone actually all the way through this. And it's a statement from Marty Morrissey. That's the RT presenter. And he says, in the interest of openness and transparency, I would like to address certain questions that have been raised over recent days. I'm just going to read this statement out. I am a sports reporter and commentator concentrating exclusively on GAA. In light of recent events, one potential issue did come into focus. In 2017, I was asked to emcee a series of functions in Renault garages across the country. This involved me interviewing several high-profile GA personalities. As required of me, I sought RT permission at the time. This permission was granted. I did not seek a fee for this engagement. I saw it as a GA-related interacting with former players who I knew well. Many of the GA-related engagements I do, and I do at no cost. As I hadn't sought a fee, Renault offered me the use of a car. I accepted this offer. The situation carried on informally for a number of years. I ended up emceeing about 12 such events. Since the recent controversy within RTE, I reflected on this matter. I concluded that it had been an error of judgment on my part to accept the use of the car. I returned it voluntarily to Renault on Friday the 23rd of June. Like many RTE staff and contractors, I was this week asked to supply RTE with information about any commercial engagements, gifts and potential conflicts of interest. I did this and I made a full disclosure of this matter to RTE. I've never been appointed a brand ambassador for Renault. There was no expectation or requirement that I publicly endorse or promote Renault on air, on social media or otherwise while I had the use of the car. As far as I was concerned, my use of the car was a always a very ad hoc arrangement which did not affect my work with RT. There's just three sentences more. I wish to be clear that I never had a car allowance from RT. I've apologised to RT, my managers and colleagues, for any embarrassment or difficulty I have caused them because of this matter. I also apologise to any of our viewers and listeners who may feel let down by my actions. It was never my intention to let anyone down, least of all myself. I have assured RT that while I remain ready to assist and rectify any of the issues which may arise from this matter. So that's the statement that's just been released by Marty Morrison. And this related to um, news which we heard from committee yesterday, um, which was disclosed by Adrian Lynch, that there was a staff member in RT who had the loan of a car over yeah. a five-year period. And Mr. Lynch said he wasn't in a position to either say who that person was or anything about the matter. But now that has come out into the open from a statement from Marty Morrissey himself. And we can expect, uh, you know, an awful lot more to come out in the days and weeks ahead as, you know, That's all what of the, the chair of the board has said. Yes, and the register of interests. And, and again, various questions have been asked about various people who had contracts yes. and side deals and, uh, and um, so on. But one last thing, that's that's one person in sport. Obviously, we have to wait and see if there has been a survey mm-hmm. of all staff members relating to those topics. Is there anyone else? I don't know if there is, but we'll have to wait and see what the outcome of that investigation is. But certainly the board would seem to suggest, would have suggested that they feel that there is more and that when they look at the staff contracts and they look at their closeness or their alignments with with businesses, that there may be more. And I mean, certainly this has been one of the issues over the past week, because while there has been, you know, we have heard an awful lot from the staff of RTE justifiably about, you know, the compare and contrast, but there's also... A lot of people looking at the colleagues, they've been working alongside as they learn, you know, more and more about these things. But equally, people operated within an ecosystem that was created and that's what they did. 
That's what they did. And also, I think social media has changed very much the way that people work and that there are some people that are huge stars on social media and that are then mm-hmm. brought into the, the fold. As and Moya Doherty spoke about that yesterday, that the if you like the ecosystem, that the whole environment in broadcasting and interaction yeah. has changed. It really has changed. And I think there has to be an acceptance that it has changed. But what is needed is that transparency, that just that you know what are the deals that people have, what are the, the partnerships that they have and what are the um, expectations for them and what's the quid pro quo, really. And people do deserve to know that. And there is to be a register uh, where people will declare various interests, they'll declare whatever outside yeah. gigs they're doing and so on. And that might go some way towards that, addressing that. I mean, they can actually take the template that's in place for news and current affairs. So if someone like me wants to present um, uh, an event or, or be an MC an event, I write down who the organisation is, um, when it's on, what date, who else is on the panel, is there any um, fee that applies to it? It goes into a central committee of um, senior management, they evaluate it, and then they say yes or no. Mm-hmm. So that is already in place news and current affairs. And clearly that model is going to be replicated throughout the organisation. And I think a lot of the TDs said they would like to see a register similar to the register of members' interests, which exists in the Dáil, where anybody can have a look in and you can see what property does a TD own? You know, what else? What business interests do they have? What shares do they hold? And then you can align mm-hmm. that with their Doll records, yeah. you know, what do they speak on and see if there's a conflict there. That's and we really saw this as well. And, and, and there will be tensions as this process of, uh, uh, unfolds. But in terms of the top 100 earners in RTE and of course, there's the concerns about GDPR rights. And uh, Adrian Lynch st- spoke about talking to the Data Protection Office about that. But in a way, I suppose, again, if we're taking it to politicians for the forms they filled in or didn't fill in, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe we've just got to learn that we've got to take the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I thought and I, I wrote about this, I actually said it in my TV live um, when it was announced that the 100 names are going to come out. I said this is probably going to, this is someone's going to raise a question with the Data yeah. Protection Commissioner on this because the statement was being made, but individuals have rights. Yeah. So that's going to be resolved in, 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 in the medium term. But I think you're right, that's the way it's going. And given that media can be influential, then the public, I guess, is ultimately wants to know, yeah. is there something behind? Um, is there something we should know? Just to go back to when David was talking about the summer economic statement and that doorstep that uh, Micheál Martin and Michael McGrath held, I thought that I felt the way I read that was it was a reaction almost to the RTE story. I think the politicians are finding they can't get any oxygen for their actual normal business. Normally, the summer economic statement would be a huge talking yeah. point. Yeah. It would be across all mediums, all platforms. And instead, everyone's consumed with the RTE story. And I think politicians are kind of struggling in a yeah. in a way that there's like these are actually the issues that we should be debating you know, how much will we spend in the budget? What will we spend it on? And how long will we commit that spending for? And I thought that doorstep really showed that, you know, it's part of the frustration in government of what's going on in RTE, that it is dominating everything and they can't get any cut through for their own their own work. 12,441, the new homelessness record. Again, barely a whisper about that. But people would probably remember 4956, the amount of money that was spent on flip-flops for the corporate summer party. There you go. The week in numbers. That's it from Your Politics. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening.